0: What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh the Question and Answer podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. You can ask me anything and everything about our Catholic faith from morality to spirituality. Whether it's a question about everyday life or what we believe, as Catholics, I'm here to help you find answers. If you are a first-time listener, be sure to follow the podcast. You can also hit me up with your own questions, comments, and critiques at www. slash ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and any other podcast format, and you can share us on your social media pages. This helps other people to find out about the show if it's been a gift for you, potentially it can become a gift for them as well. On today's show, The Doctors in the house, the doctors in the building, we have Dr. Andrew Whitmore uh, with us as a guest today, and he's going to be talking about his new book, Saintly Habits, Seven Simple Strategies You Can Use to Grow in Virtue. And uh, especially with Lent coming up, I think Lent's a great time uh, to examine uh, our dominant vices and what virtues the Lord might be inviting us to cultivate uh, during this season of our lives so we can grow in a deep intimacy with Him. But before we get into this uh, awesome show with this great guest about this great topic, I want to share with you a glorious story. My glory story for this week uh, just actually just, just happened, y'all. Like God is so good. God is so, so generous with us. Uh, he provides for every single need that, that we have in our journey to becoming saints. And so, uh, as, as you all know, we're trying to do a lot of work right now um, in the inner city with uh, our vagabond missionaries uh, who are coming to uh, our parish, Sacred Heart of Jesus and yeah, and so just there's always needs, right? Uh, we uh, have a lot of brothers and sisters who are experiencing poverty uh, who need to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to hear the gospel and to be invited to adoration and RCAA and Bible studies and to find freedom from their vices so that they can become saints in their walk toward eternity. But as you all know, this all costs money. And um and money doesn't just fall off of a tree, but sometimes it does just show up out of nowhere. And so, one thing that the Lord has been teaching me in this season of my life is just to be faithful to prayer, just to keep showing up to prayer, just to be in relationship with Him, and and the trust to surrender. To I think the the actual antiphon for yesterday's office of reading was surrender, and I will do everything for you. And and that's it. Just like okay, God, I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to pray. And you're going to provide, if you want us to keep serving the poor, if you want us to keep uh, making disciples of all nations, you're going to do it because you know, it obviously costs money. And today I was in one of my teammates' offices and I was just kind of lamenting about life. I could be melancholic at times. And, and someone came in the office and was like, hey, um, I just walked in church and I prayed and I feel called to, to write this check. And this person wrote a very generous check to serve the poor. And I was like, oh, Father yeah, you're still doing it, God. Like, I didn't even ask for that. So he knows what we need before we even ask, and he's so generous beyond our imagination, especially whenever, like, what we need isn't for us, but it's for the good of the kingdom. And so my glory story is, yeah, God, he just provides. He just provides over and over again. Uh, Dr. Whitmore, uh, do you have a glory story that you want to share with us?
1: I do, and thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. This is a great opportunity. My glory story, it has to do, I have two children. Um, one of them's turning seven this week, actually. And the other one is four. And my seven-year-old just received his first confession last week and just seeing him go through the process of, um, you know, he really wants it. I think a lot of times kids are nervous and they're they're scared and what's it going to be like, but we have a good relationship with our parish priests and he was just all excited about it. And you could see, you know, he, when he came out of the confessional, he just had this bright smile on his face and now he's going to receive his first communion this Sunday on his What a birthday. gift! So, yeah, so it's just really cool seeing him go through that. And then with his younger sister and her learning and imitating him and all mm. that, it's just beautiful to see their love for God kind of, you know, we've been raising them. They've been seeing what we do. But now, finally, he gets to participate in it, too. And it's just a beautiful now question
0: honor. is, are all of his classmates receiving First Communion on his birthday? Or is it just because he, he wants the Eucharist that bad and the, the pastors are, hey, for your birthday this year, you're getting Jesus a week after your first confession? Yeah, it,
1: it's just— so he's the only one receiving it to This day It worked out that way. He's uh, We're homeschooling our children, but they also go to this kind of once a week atrium mm-hmm. school. And just the way that it worked out, uh, he's older than a lot of his other friends, and he would have been getting it next year with them. But he was ready for it now. And I love that,
0: man. I love that. Why wait? Exactly. Why wait? If you believe and you want the Lord. You know, I just read a story about this uh, saint. Her name was Venerable Antoinette. Mayo maybe I'll find out the real name Later I think that's the name But she was seven years old She died from cancer But uh She also Like just longed For the Eucharist And And so She got to receive The Eucharist early And it was on Christmas That she got to receive Her first Holy Communion Which she she passed away Shortly after But like she hungered For the, for the blessed sacrament And so it's so cool that Yeah I mean it, It's probably a, a testament To you and your wife's, you know, paternity and maternity that your that your children have such a love for the sacraments and long for the sacraments. I always love at mass. So I, we have communion rails at my church, and so the little everyone kneels down. They you know they wait for the Lord Lord to come to them, and uh, I love when the little small kids uh, who aren't ready for the, their first communion yet, when they just like reach out their hands and they say, "Give me, give me, give me," and I'm like, it, wouldn't that be awesome if? If all of us just long for Jesus like yeah. that, or we're just begging for, we're grasping for Him and not for these passing things of the world, but for Jesus. When you were talking about first reconciliation, it reminded me uh, years ago when I was at Saint Aloysius. I'm at Sacred Heart of Jesus now, uh, and way back in the day, I was at Saint Aloysius, and we had our first reconciliation, and that's a huge school, uh, and so there was probably like eight priests there helping out or whatever. But one of the parents told me, <laughs> one of the parents told me after their daughter received her first. Reconciliation. She came back to her mom and dad and said that was awesome. And then she said, "I'm gonna go sin again, so I can go back." (laughs) And they told me that, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm a failure as a pastor. Like that's not no. Like the the goal, the goal is to not sin, but at least she had a good experience. i blessed be God. She she loves confession, and she definitely is not scared of the sacrament. But I was like, No, you don't. You don't want to sin again. (laughs) So I I had a little bit more work to do in my uh, formation uh, with the kids there, but. Yeah, well, great glory stories, and uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into today's show about your new book, About the Virtues. And we are back again. Our guest today is Dr. Andrew Whitmore. Uh, he is the author of the new book, uh, Saintly Habits, Seven Simple Strategies You Can Use to Grow in Virtue. Uh, Dr. Whitmore, before we jump into the book and like, why you wrote the book, just who are you? Like, how did you encounter Jesus? Uh, how did you fall in love with the Lord? Why are you serving the church in this capacity?
1: Sure. My story Sometimes people use, I don't know if you've heard the term reversion, right? Not conversion, but yeah. reversion. Mm-hmm. I was raised Catholic and brought up in the faith, but for some reason during high school, kind of working and straying away a little bit, um, still kept up a prayer life, but wasn't going to mass and things like that. And I really saw my reversion start happening in undergraduate. I, I, I say it's a, it's all Mary's work. I went to Assumption mm-hmm. College right after Mary. After that, graduate school was in D.C. And I worked at the Basilica, which is the Immaculate Conception Basilica and all that. So I saw her hand in it. But I had my— What did re- you do over there? Uh, in D.C.? Mm-hmm. So I was doing graduate school at the Catholic University of America for theology. And I was at the Basilica. I started in the bookstore, and then I worked in the music and liturgy office. I made the programs for all the different masses.
0: Do you know Father Johnny Gibson? Was he there when you were there? He was not uh, a Johnny, priest. Johnny, yeah, yeah. I worked there Johnny, yeah, he's a priest huh? in the Archdiocese of New Orleans, not one of my buddies. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. He was great.
0: He was fun. He was um, Father Weston's assistant while I was there for a little bit. Very cool. Awesome. So we were in the same office. Okay, continue. Okay,
1: yeah. So anyway, I uh, had my reversion. When I went to undergrad, I was looking to do English architecture, something like that. Uh, I ended up falling in love with theology because the first year you had uh, the Bible course. And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to read the Bible. I'm just going to do it. So I just started with Genesis, which they say is not Mm. the way to do it. But I just started front cover, went to back cover, took two years. And as I'm going through it, I'm falling in love with it. I made it a minor, then I made it a double major, and then I finally just made it what I was doing. And so I went to grad school for that. And now I'm teaching at Christendom College in Front Royal, Virginia. And my expertise was moral theology. My dissertation was on Thomas Aquinas and how do we grow in virtue?
0: So. Oh, so if I were have asked you a time question, you would have probably been able to answer. Yeah, yeah. So that's, <laughs> Thanks for your humility and 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 not. Uh, yeah, thanks. Great. Praise God. <laughs> I uh, I remember when I was in seminary, my final exam for moral theology. Uh, it was uh it was on Thomas Aquinas and and, and his stuff. And uh, the professor, he was this old priest. His name is Father David Kelly. He's probably like in his like ni- mid nineties now. Okay. Um, and but he's this great, great old priest, loving the death. He's gonna be a saint one day, probably. He wakes up every day and prays like three holy hours before six uh-huh. a.m. So he's just a great guy. He was a missionary in El Salvador for years. So he was around Oscar, Saint Oscar Romero and Venerable Matilda wow. Grande, and so he saw a lot of suffering, he saw a lot of injustice, and um, and he had a reversion as a priest through Veritatis Splendor. Um, uh, so really great story, great guy. Um, but for his final exam, uh, we were in the gym working out, and I did. T- it was an oral exam that afternoon, and so we're working out together in the gym. And I asked him, I said, hey, Father Kelly, like, if you ask me how St. Thomas Aquinas defines love according to the summa, uh, that would be great. Just joking with him. Uh, And my oral exam, everyone else had like these long oral exams. And for mine, he just said, so how does St. Thomas Aquinas define love in the summa? And I was like, yes, I got it. And that was it. And so I got like an A++, and I was so grateful that he hooked me up. like I don't know why he did that for me, uh, but I was so so grateful. I love Thomas Aquinas. He's, he's one of my favorite saints, but um, yeah, that's just that. So, all right, now, you wrote this, this book, and I was just talking to some of my preachers today about this African priest who he once said, uh, you Americans, you always begin discernment like this. You say, what's going to make me happy, and what's going to make me feel good, and then you begin discernment based on like yourself. He said, but in my village— in my small community, he said, we always begin the sermon this way: we say, "What are the needs of our people?" and then, and then, what are our gifts? Uh, and so I look at that even with like religious orders. Like whenever God raises up new congregations, uh, they're, they're they're always a response to a need at that time. And, and so that's whenever He gives certain religious charisms to address those needs. And sometimes those needs aren't needs anymore, and then those religious orders can kind of just die out because they were created for a certain time. So in writing this book, obviously we know your gifts, right? You're you're Thomistic moral theologian, but what kind of need did you see in our culture today for this particular book on on the virtues and particularly uh, on some some of the saints who cultivate those virtues?
1: It's funny. The inspiration for the book, I my original plan was this was my dissertation. I wanted to just make an academic book based off of it, and it, I was talking with my mom and some of her friends one day, and one of her friends was like, wow, that sounds like a really interesting topic. You need to make this into a book so people can read about it. And it's kind of like, really? Mm-hmm. People would want to know about this? So then I started thinking about it and it's like, okay, yeah, I think I do have something to contribute here. I just see the need as a lot of people don't hear about virtue anymore. Correct. But when they do, it's not in the right way. It's just like these pious platitudes, like everyone hears virtue is its own reward, patience is a virtue. That's all true, but people don't really understand what it means. And then when they do hear the virtues, they're all misunderstood, right? They hear chastity and they're mm. like, "Oh, this is just a whole bunch of things I can't do." Mm. No, chastity is actually the 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 power to give you this freedom to love and show your affections well, uh, right? So it's actually something that leads to creativity and, and fullness and all that. Yeah. So people misunderstand what virtues are if they hear about them at all. So I thought this was a good opportunity. Uh, when people do hear about it, it's like, "Where do I start?" And so basically what the book is, it's seven chapters. Each chapter is a different strategy for growing in virtue, and each strategy explains a different dimension of virtue. So by the time you get to the end, you've got seven strategies and a pretty full understanding of what virtue is.
0: It sounds like it's a pretty practical book.
1: Yeah, I think so. That's one of the nice things with teaching moral theology is that a lot of the students are like, "Oh, you know, I know how I can, all this stuff's good, but with the moral theology, like this is practical. I can do something with this.
0: What do you find uh, in your experience as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as a professor is the most difficult virtue in this current um, culture reign to be cultivated?
1: So there's a lot, I think we can point to a lot of different vices in our culture. So, you know, a common example might be clearly the culture struggles with lust struggles with some other things, but honestly, the more I've thought about it, I think fortitude or courage is really Mm. a lacking virtue because, Courage is going to give you that ability to continue to stand firm in the good, even in the midst of some great difficulty, whether that difficulty is some big obstacle or it's just time. Mm-hmm. Some people can get can get off to a good start. You know, you think weight training or something, exercising they get started, but then they don't persevere. Yeah, um, I think the same thing happens in the moral life, that it's, it's one thing to do the right thing once or to do it a couple of times to do it when it's kind of easy. But as soon as it gets difficult, whether you have to do it for a long time or it's not the way you expected or the way you're used to, sometimes we, we abandon ship. So fortitude or courage being that virtue that helps us to stand firm in the virtues we already have, even when the going gets tough.
0: Yeah, and I think I agree with that. And I also, to add on to that, it's that, because even even pagans can cultivate virtues, right? Virtues aren't something that um, mm-hmm. only us as Christians who abide in the sacrament life of the church can, can, um, can cultivate, but one of the, the gifts that we do have as Christians is, is prayer. Yeah. And, and I think that in order for us to be sustained in, in fortitude to be sustained and in, in being courage, courageous throughout, there has to be a lot of time dedicated to the interior life. Do you speak about uh, prayer in your book as well?
1: I do. And it's, it's an interesting thing. I think I talk about it mostly prayer in the sacraments. It's one of the strategies in chapter six, but I say at the beginning of the chapter, like this really should be at the beginning of the book. Mm. The reason it comes there is because it just makes sense to, that's where I talk about theological virtues, faith, open charity, grace and things like that. So I have to build up to it. But really I said, this should be the first strategy and it should be a strategy that you employ with all of the other ones.
0: It has to endure throughout I me mean, because yeah, the very first thing that Jesus Christ told the apostles to do after they were ordained at the Last Supper wasn't to teach, preach, baptize. It was to go sit, watch, and pray. But exactly. to your point, sometimes you have to build up to that because if you start your book off with uh, a chapter on the sacraments, you might bore people in the beginning. The sacraments are awesome, but sometimes you have to kind of grab their attention and then get there. That's what um, Immaculate Lebeguise I don't know if you've ever heard of her before. She is a survivor. Oh, yeah. She The book she's always wanted to write, which she did write, was the one on Our Lady um, of Cabejo. But she said that it was very clear to her in prayer that if she would have came out with that book first, nobody would have read it. And so she came out with a more exciting book about her testimony and her story of surviving the Rwanda genocide. And then she led us to Our Lady Cabejo, which is drawing so many people back to the interior life, and particularly with the the Rosary of, of Our Lady of Sorrows. And so I think it's, it's pretty wise to to build up to um, that, which is most important. And even in uh, Mother Teresa's book about her life, the the, the Secret Fire, uh, the beginning of the the book, it's all about her works she did, which Again, it's beautiful the works, but then the whole um the the last section of her book is all about the interior life. It's like, okay, so you were you were um not entertained, but you were you were you got excited about these works um and now where do they come from, they came from her relationship with Jesus christ uh, yeah. and so um yeah, so that's uh, I think that's super wise. Do you think that men and women, right, because we are we're all created by God, we're on God's image, but we're different, right? Men and women, women are different from each other. Do you think that uh, there are specific challenges that we face differently when it comes to cultivating virtues that oppose our vices?
1: I think it's probably right. It always sounds like a cop out, but one of the answers to so many questions in Catholicism, as I'm sure you know, you got your Ask Father Josh, is uh, both and, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, both and. So on the one hand, I want to say. Virtue is for everybody Mm -hmm. and so it's the same virtues that we can all cultivate so in that respect You know as fallen humans, we're all going to face similar temptations similar challenges So I think there'll be some similarities for men and women, but we also approach them in masculine or feminine ways Mm -hmm. So in that regard, I I think there probably is It will be unique for each person. I don't know from my own experience It seems to me that um with women a lot of the times the the love and the patience comes a little bit easier Mm. with the men Justice comes a little bit easier, maybe like mercy on the feminine side, yeah. justice on the masculine side.
0: And I think too, just a nod to our the feminine genius. I think women also have a greater capacity of enduring suffering. Um, mm-hmm. There, if you look at the cross, uh, so I have a devotion to Jesus Christ crucified, and at the foot of the cross, the apostles weren't there. John came eventually, right? But it was the women who were there. Like women are drawn to suffering and to be with people in suffering in a way that. As guys, sometimes we, um, like, that's a big area of growth for us. And blessed be God, I pray that we can step up to the yeah. uh, to the plate and and by the grace of God, grow and mature in that in that capacity. But there is, in my experience, even with women, they get pregnant, they're, the way they give birth, the way they, whenever I'm sick, my mom, who's in her, her 70s, and my mom, her health is not great. But whenever I'm sick, if I'm visiting home, like, she legit is just, like, suffering with me in, in a way that it's just, I just don't. Yeah, we, we don't see that too often with, uh, and even with, with religious orders, like it's it's the female religious orders where like Mother Teresa's um, and and the, the Little Sisters of the Poor, a lot of those communities were founded by women, and they they're just drawn to to endure and suffering uh, with us in a way that most male or, orders you know aren't. And so there there's a, it is an interesting thing of uh, of the different virtues that we're probably more inclined to, and then the ones that uh, we have to really pray for God's grace and work at cultivating because we're all called to excellence, you know? So men don't, it's not a cop-out for us to be like, oh, well, we don't have the feminine genius, so therefore we don't have to go to the foot of the cross. Like, no, nah, we still have to do that too. Um, but it just might be easier for women to do that than, than for men to do it. It's more natural for them, I guess.
1: I think that's true. And what's something that just you sparked in my mind, um, when Aquinas talks about courage, he says there's actually like two main parts of it. There's the aggressive part, and then there's the enduring part. So usually when we think of courage, we think of confronting the problem and mm-hmm. conquering it and all that. But he says it's actually more courageous to endure when you can't overcome it Mm. that shows you're the weaker party but you're still standing firm in the good and so when you talk about the endurance of women there like he says that's actually more courageous than confronting it head-on which i think is usually like what the man thinks it's like i gotta just get rid of this problem as soon as i can that can be good but he says it's more courageous in those moments where you can't overcome it and you just endure
0: i'm super excited about reading this book so what's the title again
1: saintly habits aquinas's seven simple strategies you can use to grow in virtue
0: and uh, where is it available at
1: you can get it at um, ascensionpress.com saintly habits that's a www.ascensionpress.com saintly habits
0: and am i going to get an, uh, a copy of the book for free yeah for sure i'll send you one <laughs> so yeah. thank you Gee, are you gonna sign it for me as well um so yeah. it's, it's available now though mm-hmm. pray blessed be god I, i'm so excited so i um Yeah, I'm doing a a theology on the rocks uh, coming up on the biblical roots of vice and virtue. So hopefully uh, Mariah, she's listening in the background right now. Hopefully Mariah make sure I get a copy of the book before that talk. It's in like two weeks, Mariah, so if y'all can speed... Uh, get, what, what, FedEx, UPS, whatever it's called. Get that book to me really quick. Uh, that would help me with the content for the talk that I'm giving. But no, I'm super excited because, yeah, I think that, especially during Lent, Lent is a great time for all of us to to really examine uh, the, the virtues and to be inspired by uh, the witness of the saints who preceded us in our walk toward eternity uh, because God calls all of us to... Yeah, to not be mediocre disciples, but to be radical witnesses of his love. So what we're going to do is, Dr. Whitmore, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, talk about one particular saint who uh, is on your mind, in your heart, in your life right now that can potentially inspire the rest of us in our journey to, God willing, becoming saints ourselves. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm Mark Hart, and I want to share with you an exciting new series called Venture, the Bible timeline for high school. Now, let's be honest. The Bible is easily the most confusing, most misunderstood book of all time. How do these random time periods, these random people, these random stories all fit together? And what do they mean for me and for my life? In this study, we're gonna take a journey through the basic story of scripture from Genesis through Revelation, so that by the end of it, teenagers will understand the big picture of salvation history. Because when we come to know the story, we come to know our place in the story. To find out more and get a free preview of this engaging new study, visit ascensionpress.com backslash venture. And we are back. Just a reminder, you, you can hit me up with your own questions, comments, and critiques at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. And you can rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats that will help other people find out about the show. I mentioned last week that there was an announcement I wanted to make that I couldn't make last week because it wasn't public, and it's public now. So, Dr. Wimore you're the first to uh, actually hear me say it, and I'm excited to share with our audience that, uh, along with Sister Miriam James and Monsi Alvarado from EWTN, um, I will be uh, co-emceeing the Eucharistic Congress uh, in 2024. And so, super excited about that because, A, I had my conversion during Eucharistic Adoration, my reversion during Eucharistic Adoration of uh, the Blessed Sacrament, and 2004, so yeah, exactly, 20 years after my encounter with Christ, Twenty, yeah, right, 2024, yes, my, my number's adding up, I saw you look up, yeah, so I'll be, uh, and then two is that I, as a pastor and director of vocations, I just have to say no a lot to like a lot of things because my primary responsibility are my seminarian's. Guys, discerning, uh, and uh, my school, and my parishioners, and my neighbors. Like, that's my—so quite often I have to say no. And so a long time ago, I was invited to do some things uh, for the Eucharistic Revival, and and as much as I wanted to do them, I just couldn't because it was like it would take me away from my primary responsibility. And I was like, no, seminarians and parishioners and students and neighbors come first. And so I was like, man, Lord, I I would have really loved to participate— in the, the National Eucharistic Revival, the Congress. And, uh, and then it came back around, and they were like, hey, well, what about this opportunity? It's in a couple of years. And I was like, oh, blessed be God. I happen to be free. And so, and it's the summer, which like a lot of things aren't happening in the school over the summer. So yeah, so I'm super excited about that to, to hopefully, yeah, I just, my, my greatest desire, brother, is I want people to encounter Jesus in the Eucharist because I really do believe that if people go to adoration and I like, just sit with the blessed sacrament, that God, he just will transform them. I mean, like, the Eucharist is where saints are formed. And and so the the more emphasis we can get on Jesus Christ and the Blessed Sacrament, I think that's going change, to change our world. That's going to build up what St. John Paul II called a civilization of love. And, yeah, we just need more of it. We need more of adoration, and we need more reverence at Mass. That's a whole other conversation. But the Eucharist is, you know, so important. So, anyways, super excited to announce that we'll be, me and Monsi and Sister Miriam, will be emceeing the 2024 National Eucharistic Congress, and uh, hopefully y'all can make it, and we can adore Jesus Christ together in the Blessed Sacrament. Now, with that being said, Dr. Andrew Whitmore, I want to ask you: Who is the saint for today's show?
1: I picked Saint Philip Neri, and why is that? Um, I don't know how much listeners know about Saint Philip Neri. He's uh, there's two things that I find that he's most notable for. One is you talked about Eucharistic saints. He had a huge devotion to the Eucharist. Um, all these different legends of. You know, his heart would beat so much, it would be shaking the whole pew that he's praying on. He'd get choked up during the consecration and have to kind of calm down to finish mm. Mass. When he died, his heart was like twice the size it should have been or something like mm. that. So he has this huge Eucharistic devotion, huge love of Christ. But also, the other side of him, he he liked jokes. He's, he's a prankster. He liked doing practical uh, jokes on people. Had a good sense of humor. Uh, so that appeals to me because I like joking around too. But there's a particular story that I loved telling about him. And this comes, it's actually, the story comes secondhand. It comes from somebody that I knew during my graduate studies. And it just really speaks to the closeness of the saints in our lives. A lot of times we hear about the saints and we think like, oh no, these are just past legends. Or, you know, I pray to them, but you know, how close are they to us? This, This story is great. So my friend here, he had another friend who was a seminarian getting ordained. And that ordination weekend, they had the rehearsal for the ordination. And during the rehearsal, they said, there's going to be a litany of the saints. So whoever you want to be added to the litany, let us know and we'll add it. So he had a devotion to St. Sebastian or some saints. So he said, okay, I want them. I want him in. And at the end of the rehearsal, they said, if you think of anybody else, just send us an email and we'll get him in for the ordination. So that night, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's just got on his heart saint philip Neri. saint philip Neri. i don't know why i don't have a devotion to him i don't know why but just he needs to be in the litany so he sends an email goes back to bed when it comes time for the ordination they get to the litany of the saints and they're going through they're going through all the saints he's waiting for sebastian he's waiting for sebastian and then he hears philip Neri. he's like okay great he got in and then it keeps going it keeps going and it ends no saint sebastian so he's like oh man you know like that's the one i have a devotion to it's great philip got in i don't know why but whatever so that night, to celebrate the ordination, they've got uh, a dinner where they were all gathered. And there was a, another priest that was invited who was not at the ordination, was not at the rehearsal. He was just a friend of the bishop's. And he was a charismatic priest. And before they started the meal, he went around to each one of the newly ordained priests and he prayed over them. And when he got to this priest, everyone saw him pause and he just looked really confused. And then he says, I see St. Philip Neri he's laughing at you. And he had no idea oh, wow. about any of that story. I so that. this priest is like, I got pranked from
0: heaven. I love that. <laughs> that is so cool. And now he's got
1: a deep devotion to St. Philip Neri.
0: Oh, what a gift. Oh, that, that, is, that is great, man. Yeah, the saints are close to us. What a gift. That's beautiful. Um, as you were talking about St. Philip Neri being a prankster, I was reminded of a terrible prank I did in seminary that I Uh, I thought so. We in seminary we do pranks all the time, uh, and I had a buddy who lived across the hall from me, and uh, one of the pranks we would just do different stuff to each other all the time. And I one day in lunch we had fish. At lunch we had fish, and um, I put some fish in a to-go box, and I put it under his futon, uh, and uh, so that it would eventually smell. And I just forgot I put it there, (laughs) like I legit forgot about the joke because I was supposed to like tell him, hey, ha, hi, ha, I did this joke on you. And then like one day I go in his room and it's just like rotten. It stinks so bad. It's rank. And everybody's like, dude, your room smells so bad. And so he's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. He said, I got the Glade spray. I got the Febreze. I put the little air freshener or the little dryer sheets in my in my air conditioner. I don't know what's going on. I blessed it with holy water. I'm not sure. And I'm thinking like, bro, like, guess yeah, something is demonic in your room. Like I have no idea what's going on. You might need to get the exorcist in here. It was terrible. And then, like months go, and it, it was it was bad. And and so he also to to his point of like you know need for virtue. His room was kind of messy, and so if he would have just done a deep clean, he would have found the 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 fish under his futon. But he just had stuff everywhere. And then finally one day. It just hit me. My mind, it, was, it just all came back. I was like, oh, my goodness, I did that to him. I did that. So I ran in his room, and I hurried up and, like, removed the fish, and then eventually the smell went away. Um, and it, it was, like, a semester later when I finally told him, hey, man, I just want to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time your room stunk, and then it stopped stinking? And it, it, was, it was actually all because of me. And so, But we would do pranks on each other all the time, and, uh, and some we got in trouble for. But it was, yeah, it's, it's fun. So hopefully the Saints enjoyed uh, those pranks that we did as well. well look, Dr. Whitmore, we're super excited uh, for you, for your book, for your, your witness. Uh, I, you. I hope many of our listeners check out your book, pray with it, and are able to be inspired to, to cultivate the virtues um, uh, in, their, in their journey to becoming saints. Again, you can get his book at www.ascensionpress.com. And, uh, and is it on Amazon as well, or is it? ascension it is
1: on amazon right now they have it as an ebook they don't have it uh physical yet
0: okay cool yeah so it's an ebook on amazon and then uh yeah just encourage you all to get it thank you so much dr whitmore uh and saint philip neary we invite you to pray for us god bless